Amen. Open your Bible this morning to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We want to focus our attention this morning in verses 21 to 26. Listen carefully to what Paul has to say here, inspired by the Spirit of God. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Beloved, as we've been going through this epistle, we have been learning how it is that a person responds to the circumstances of their life depends on the perspective that they have about life. And what we have found from the life of Paul is that though he was in prison, he was rejoicing. Though he had detractors, he was rejoicing. And though his life and his future was uncertain, he still could rejoice. And the question we should ask ourselves this morning as we think about that is, how can a person live like that? And what we've been discovering as we've been walking through this is that Paul was able to do that because of the motto that he lived by in his life. And the motto of his life should be the motto of our life as a Christian. It's the Christian's motto for life, for living. And in fact, what we're going to see, it is the Christian's motto, not only for living, but for dying. We find it there in verse 21 that we read a moment ago, where he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Here's where you find the statement of the believer's perspective about life and a believer's perspective about death. And I want us to look at these two perspectives as they unfold for us here in this passage together. And as we do it, I want you to examine what Paul is saying here and his motto and how it unfolds in his life. And I want you to examine against your own life, your own perspective about life, your own perspective about death. You see, when when Paul says there in verse 21... For me to live is Christ. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll come together and and we'll focus on what does he mean when he says, for me to die is gain. But for this morning, he says, for to me to live is Christ. You can sum up what he's saying in this way. He is saying that his life is about Christ. That for me to continue to live my life, it will be about Christ. So a question we need to all ask ourselves this morning is, what am I living for? That is, fill in the blank. Where it says, for me to live is, what would be your answer? What is your life about? Who is your life about? 
Maybe for some you would say, really, if I'm honest, for me to live is about work. I just live to work. Or for me to live is about making money. Or for me to live, it's about family. For me to live, it's about health. For me to live, it's about pleasure. It's about entertainment. For me to live, it's about hunting, fishing, golfing, shopping, whatever hobbies you can put in there. For me to live, maybe as a young person, my life is about school. Or as a young person, my life, for me to live right now, is just getting to be an adult. I just want to be older. Beloved, the only right answer, the only non-sinful answer, is to say for me to live is Christ. Now, none of those things I just mentioned a moment ago are sinful activities. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with working and having good health and making money. And there's nothing wrong with, with having family and loving family. And even there's nothing wrong with pleasure and entertainment. There's nothing wrong with hobbies of hunting, fishing, golfing, shopping. There's nothing wrong with even desiring as a young person to want to get older. There's nothing wrong in and of themselves for any of those things. All those things are really good things for us to do and even to desire to do. But when they become sinful, beloved, is when those are the things that are the driving force of our life, when that's what I'm living for, when I'm living for something else besides Christ. So understanding that point, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. So what does that look like? If that's going to be the model of my life, That I want to be, as the Apostle Paul is saying here, I want to be able to honestly say that for me, living is about Jesus. It's about Christ. Well, it will unfold in your life and it will unfold in my life the same way that we see it unfolding in the life of Paul here in the passage that we just read. If Jesus is the reason for our living, living, then that will involve fruitful labor for the cause of Christ. Go on to read again in verse 22. He says, but if I am to live on in the flesh. Now as you read that statement, remember his circumstances. He is still in prison. It is still up in the air at this moment for Paul. He doesn't know whether or not he's going to be set free or he's going to be sentenced to death. So when Paul says, but if I'm to live on in the flesh, he's really saying, if I'm allowed to stay around in this world, if God allows me to stay here, And beloved, we can all in some ways identify with that. As we all get older, we can more identify with what Christ, with what Paul is saying here. As we face at different times in our life, some tough physical issues and sicknesses in our life, we can identify with what Paul is saying here. If God just allows me to to be here, to live on in the flesh. Notice what he says. If I'm allowed to live on in the flesh, this is what this will mean for me. Fruitful labor. It's going to mean fruitful labor for me. The Apostle Peter says something similar over in 1 Peter 4, 2, where he says to live the rest of the time in the flesh. And that idea of flesh there, and the same thing what Paul is saying here about flesh, he doesn't mean sinful flesh. 
I mean, there's times in the Bible where we're told to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to not live by our flesh. And that's not the way the word's being used here. In the flesh, he's just saying, as long as you're living here in this body, in this life, Peter says to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. He's really saying the same thing that Paul is saying here. That if I'm to live on in the flesh, this is what this will mean for me. This will mean for me fruitful labor. Because my life, as he says, is Christ. I am living for Christ. Our life is about Christ because our life will be about the work of Christ. If you look over for a moment in chapter 2. Notice whenever he's talking about Epaphroditus at the end of the chapter. And he tells them to receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ. This is what he's speaking about, the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. This is what Paul is speaking about when he says that for me to live is Christ, which means it will involve fruitful labor. The work of Christ, beloved, is the sharing of the gospel. The work of Christ is serving the body of Christ, the church. And notice the fruitful labor. Paul understands that ultimately God is the one who will bring about this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in our life. The fruit of the Spirit in the lives of others. The fruit of salvation of those who will come to Christ. But notice it is fruitful labor. It is fruitful working. It will, it will come. But there must be labor. There must be work on our part. That is, for people to be saved, there must be the work of evangelism. If there are going to be people that are growing in their sanctification, growing in their faith, growing spiritually as believers, there must be work. There must be people that are serving. There must be people that are contributing. There must be people that are, that are helping, that are participating, that are putting forth effort. It is fruitful labor. In fact... If you look over for a moment, go over just one book to the book of Colossians, to Colossians chapter 1. To Colossians chapter 1. In the last two verses of Colossians 1, notice what Paul says. We proclaim him, that is, we proclaim Christ. And in this proclamation, this was involved in his proclaiming Christ. We admonish We're admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also, he says, I labor. I am striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Paul understood that ultimately it is the grace of God, the power of God, the the spirit of God, the gospel working in his life that would provide him the strength, provide him the wisdom, provide him the willingness to do the labor. But notice he says we are striving, we're laboring, we're agonizing according to this power. We're going to be admonishing, teaching, presenting, proclaiming Christ. Well, but being involved in the lives of others, it is a difficult work. It is a hard work. 
It is laborers. In fact, it's interesting how Paul puts it over here in the book of Galatians. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor. I am in labor until Christ is formed in you. These are people that God had used him and they had come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord and now they were beginning to drift. They were beginning to move in some directions they shouldn't be moving. And Paul is saying with whom I am again, I'm going to send labor with you. And that picture there is of a woman who is in labor who's going through all of the birth pangs that come with that. And Paul is saying, look, this is what it requires of me in loving you and serving you and caring for you that I am in labor for you until you are fully formed in Christ. And guess what? You're not going to be fully formed in Christ until the day you are glorified, which means, beloved, in this life, as we minister to one another, it's going to be laborious. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be messy. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy at all. But it is worth it because God is bringing about fruit in the lives of others. This is what Paul's life was about. His life was about Christ. And when your life is about Christ, your life will be about laboring for the cause of Christ, for the work of Christ. And God works through that to bring fruit and fruit in the lives of others. All of us, beloved, every believer has been called to the work of Christ. If my life is going to be about Christ, then it has to be about laboring for Christ, of sharing the gospel, serving, caring, investing our lives in each other. Notice again, when you go back to what Paul says, go back to Philippians chapter 1. And notice what he says, because this goes against the, the thought of our day, especially in the, the, our, our, the American dream and the American idea about things. Notice Paul didn't say, if God allows me to keep on living, my life's going to be about vacations. I mean, my life's going to be about the good life. Paul says, if God allows me to live, my life is going to be about Christ. And if my life is about Christ, my life is going to be about fruitful labor for Christ. And notice again, as you read through the whole passage, notice where is this fruitful labor primarily going to take place in the life of Paul? It's going to take place in the church. In the church. Notice, notice the struggle Paul's going through here. He is struggling. He's saying, look, in verse 22, he says, look, if I am allowed to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And he says, I don't know which to choose. That is... He's saying, if I had the choice, now the choice is not his, the choice is going to be God's. And he knows that. His, his life is in the hand of God. If God wants him to be set free, he knows God can work the heart of Caesar and God can work the heart of whoever is, is bringing the judgment down on him, that God can turn that and work it for his advantage to be set free, or he knows God can allow that man to sentence him to death. But Paul was saying, just hypothetically, if the choice was mine, it would be a very difficult choice. And the reason why it would be a difficult choice, because on a personal basis, for Paul himself, it would be better. It would be better for Paul personally if he was actually sentenced to death. Because death, he says, is what? Gain. 
Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. I mean, it is pressing in on me. I have this desire to depart. I have a desire to go be with Christ because that is not just better, he says. It is very much better. There is nothing in this world that would compare to me being in the presence of Christ. Oh, I would rather be with Jesus. I'd rather be looking at Jesus face to face and bowing down to him face to face and loving him and worshiping him and serving him. And he's saying, that would be better for me. Yet, he says, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You see, the choice for Paul, it was a hard choice. Because he knew there was the need still in the body of Christ. And as he faced this hard choice in his own heart, what would win out for Paul? And what would win out is that he would say, look, I would be thinking more of you than me. So in the end, I would say, I would need to stay around, to live on in the flesh. Talk about denying yourself, taking up your cross. Paul Notice what he says, verse 24. Yet to remain on in the flesh. Okay? So this is about living for me to live as Christ. This is about fruitful labor for Christ. To remain on in the flesh, he says, is more necessary for your sake. Now you need to think carefully about what Paul is saying there. Because Paul is saying there that He saw that he was needed in the body of Christ. He saw that he was needed at the church at Philippi. And because he saw that, yes, it may have been better for him to die, he knew it was going to be best for them if he didn't. And what Paul was saying, look, what would drive me ultimately is, is I see the need. There are some great needs here in the church at Philippi. And God has gifted me to meet those needs. And so I know if I remain on in the flesh, I'm going to get to come and be with you and minister to help build up and strengthen and meet those needs. And beloved, this is the attitude we all must have that we see the church And we see the church here, the needs that are there, the needs to share, the needs to serve, the needs to be productive, the needs to participate, the needs to proclaim the gospel. It was necessary for Paul to be there because they still had the needs in the church. And our church is in the same place. And I pray you see the necessity that you can look at that and say it is more necessary for your sake, for the sake of others. Paul and his love for the church. See, this is what's compelling Paul. I mean, he has a love to to be with Christ, but he has such a love for the people of God. In fact, if you want to know how serious Paul was on being devoted to the work of the Lord, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for a moment. Now, we're not going to go into all the details of this. You think about, in Philippians 1, he was saying, look, if, I was faced, if I'm faced with this choice of whether I can personally choose to die or personally choose to live, it'd be a hard decision. Because obviously, I, it'd be better for me personally to go be with Jesus, but I see it'd be more necessary for you. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
He starts talking about if someone is potentially faced with the choice of marriage or not. And he actually is saying, if you don't have the, if, if, he says, look, if you don't have the gift of singleness, he's already taught, you need to go get married. All right? In, in what he was dealing with. We're not getting into all of that right now. But I want you to notice what he's saying. He, he, he's saying to them that, look, the main point of what he's going to be saying here is that you need to have an undistracted devotion to the Lord and to the work of the Lord. He says in verse 29, But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as those that had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to to promote what is appropriate and to, to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul wasn't saying to single people in the church at Corinth, you can't go get married. He was just saying, look, I want you to think through everything that's going on because what he was really promoting there was this undistracted devotion to Christ. And look, we understand that. You understand that for those who are single and even those who are married. He wasn't saying it was wrong for a husband to have concern about his wife and his family. He wasn't saying it was wrong for a wife to have concerns about her husband and her children. He's actually saying, look, he knows that is normal, that's natural, and that's even right and good. But that's what ends up pulling someone away sometimes from their full devotion to the work of the Lord. This is, I'm just using this as an example to help you to see just how focused and committed he was on being committed to the devotion of the Lord's work. That's what Paul is wanting them to see. Now notice something. Go back for a moment to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Notice what he gets more specific about in regards to his fruitful labor and his life for Christ. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. See, why is it Paul says that if I'm allowed to live, he says, if I'm allowed to live, I'm coming back to you. And when I come back to you there at Philippi, and I get to spend the time that I get to spend with you, obviously he wouldn't have stayed there forever, because Paul, uh, in the, the calling on his life and the way God was using him, Paul eventually wanted to move on, whether to other churches that he had already been a part of, founding and helped strengthen them. But even, you know, Paul, Paul had the desire to go on into Spain. Paul had the desire to keep carrying the gospel further and further into places that the gospel hadn't gone. But Paul knew that if he was let out, one of the first things he was going to do 
is come back to the church at Philippi and he wanted to there invest his life in them, invest his life in the people there because he saw that there were still needs in that church and one of the main needs that he saw is that their faith needed to continue to progress and their joy in that faith needed to continue to progress. And the reason he would say that is because, one, of the external pressures that they were facing of the persecution. Then in verse 28, he says, Don't be alarmed about your opponents. That is, those who are opposing the gospel. You're going to experience conflict from those that are opposing the gospel. That's a sign of destruction for them, but for you it's actually a sign of salvation. And it's from God. So be hopeful. But Paul knew they still faced that kind of pressure, but not just pressure from the outside, beloved. Paul knew that they needed their faith to grow. They needed their faith to advance in the gospel, advance in growing to maturity because he saw there were still these internal problems there at the church at Philippi because he knows that if people's faith are not growing, there will be a lack of conviction. And with that lack of conviction will be a lack of discernment and a lack of maturity and then a lack of unity in the body of Christ. Let me just kind of help you see that and show you that. Go over for a moment to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And what you have here at the church at Corinth is a church that overall, that doesn't mean there weren't some individuals, but overall this is a church that should be growing in their faith, but they're still babes. They're still babies in the faith. Verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, that is, to as mature people in the Lord, mature in the faith, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? One says, well, I'm a Paul, and another says, well, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? What is Apollos? What is Paul? We're just servants through whom you have believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one causing the growth. But notice what he's saying. There was a lack of unity here in the church at Corinth. Why? Because they were still babes in the faith. And it wasn't because they hadn't had sound teaching. It wasn't because they hadn't been fed things that they needed. But they hadn't practiced what it is they had heard. You can keep hearing, beloved, truth after truth after truth. But if you don't practice it personally, and if you don't practice it corporately, you just remain babes in Christ. And you don't grow. And that leads to this lack of unity that happens here. Go over, if you will, for a moment, just to follow along with that. Go over to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 5. In the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and into chapter 6, what he's saying, the writer of Hebrews says, verse 11, he says, concerning him we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, notice, because of practice, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, about the Christ, let us press on. Press on to maturity. Don't lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Notice what Paul, not Paul, don't know if Paul was the one who wrote Hebrews, but notice what the writer of Hebrews here is saying. He's saying pretty similar to what Paul was saying over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They had been taught the word of God, but though they had been taught the word of God, he's saying they hadn't actually practiced what it is they had heard. And because they hadn't practiced it, they had become dull, dull in their hearing. Instead of their senses being trained and becoming sharper and to discern good and evil, he says they become dull of hearing. And they're just partakers of the milk. And he's, this writer here is encouraging them to leave these elementary teachings from behind in the sense of keep pressing forward, keep maturing in the faith. Because if you don't, there will be a lack of unity, but a lack of conviction, a lack of discernment that we see here in Hebrews. Let me show you one other place. Go over to the book of Ephesians, to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Apostle Paul writing... In verse 11, he says, and, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God for a, to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, that is, as a result of this, that is, as a result of being equipped and being uh, someone that is being built up into knowledge and maturity and the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, as a result then, verse 14, we are no longer to be children, children in the faith, Children in the faith are those who are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. See, he's saying here, those who remain children, babes, infants in the faith get caught up in all of these things. But instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We're to be built up in all aspects, and to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see what he's saying here, that if, if we remain as children, if we don't grow in our faith, 
it makes us susceptible to things that come down the pipe. It, it starts just pulling us every direction. And beloved, this is what happens. I'm just telling you, this is what happens to people personally. This is what happens to, to churches as well. That they remain as babes in Christ or as children in Christ. That they, they, some new fad or new thing comes along and you jump over here then you jump over there. And it's just one thing pulling all over the place. And what Paul is saying here, look, is just speak the truth in love. Grow up in Christ. Be equipped. Be built up by the word of God and loving, practicing what God's word says. So when Paul is looking at the church at Philippi, And he's saying to them, look, I want to remain with you. I I know I'm convinced of this, that I will remain and I'm going to continue with you. And the reason why it is, is because it's going to be about your progress in the faith. You advancing in the faith. You maturing in the faith. But not just their maturing in the faith, their joy in the faith. And really, beloved, those two go together. Paul wanted their joy to grow. Their joy with the Lord, their joy in the Lord, their joy with one another. But beloved, that happens as their faith grows. Because as their faith is growing, their joy is growing. Their trust. But notice something very carefully as well. That's very critical to all of what Paul is saying. What is he wanting to happen in their life? As they are advancing in the faith, as they're advancing in their joy, as they are growing in Christ, Paul wants this to be about Christ, and it's not about him. It's not about Paul. Notice what he says in verse 26. He says, look, I'm coming there so that you're... you're to." So you progress and joy in the faith for this very purpose, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul saying, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Christ. And I'm not coming there for you to abound in your confidence about me. I want your confidence, your, your trust to be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I want to come. Beloved, that's always something for us to remember. It's about Christ. It's all about Him. This is what Paul has said even back in verse 20 when he says, look, I I have this confidence, this earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but Christ is going to be magnified, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body. Paul is saying, look, how I, how I handle the situation at hand of whether I'm going to live or die. If God chooses for me to die, I know that Christ is going to be exalted. If Christ, if God chooses for me to live, I know Christ is going to be exalted. And one of the ways that Christ is going to be exalted is he's going to set me free. And when he sets me free, I'm going to go back to the church at Philippi and I'm going to invest my life in those people. And as I invest my life in those people, there's going to be fruitful labor. And part of that fruit that's going to come is their faith and their joy is going to be growing in the Lord. And as that's happening, their faith, their trust, their confidence in Christ will be abounding more and more. And this is what should be the desire of our heart as well. Let me ask you this morning. Do you have the same desire that Paul did? 
That is, are you consumed with a passion and a love for Christ and a love for His church? Do you view your life as being about Christ? Could you honestly answer this morning the question that we posed at the beginning, the fill in the blank, for me to live is Christ. My life is about Christ. Again, Paul didn't want their life to be about him. It was going to be about Christ. Do you look at the church? Do you look at the church and do you look at it as as Paul did and say, look, I see the needs that are there. I see the needs. God's gifted me to serve and to fulfill in those needs to be a part of the body of Christ. You see, that's what was driving Paul. If he would have taken his eyes off of that, he'd have been sitting there just hoping, wishing, praying, oh God, oh God, have them sentence me to death. Sentence me to death. Please, Lord, just have them sentence me to death. I just want to go home and be with Jesus. But at this time in his life, Paul knew that God could still use him and that the place he saw where God could still use him and wanted to use him was there at the church at Philippi. Do you see it in that way as well? But finally, I ask you this. Do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? You see, this is where it must start. This is where it started with Paul. This is where it starts with everyone, with anyone, because the root of all of what Paul is saying, this desire, this passion, this motto, it started for him on that day and on the road to Damascus where he met the Lord Jesus Christ and his life was changed forever and he was radically changed and transformed and saved and brought into the kingdom of God and he knew Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. When that happened to him, beloved, that right there on that day, his life changed and his life motto became, my life is Christ. That's when his motto became, his life is Christ. Now, did he struggle at times? Yes. But that's when his life became that. And I'm asking you this morning to consider your own soul before the Lord. Can you say that it's true of you? Have you truly put your faith in Christ? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord? Think about what it is that he has done for you. Think about what he was willing to do, his willingness to leave heaven and to come to this earth, his willingness to take on flesh, his willingness to live this life around the sin-stained world and go to a cross without sin so that he could take our sins upon himself. Think of what Christ has provided, what he has delivered you from if you will put your faith in him. It says, my life is Christ. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. We were just singing about it. That Jesus is my life. Hallelujah. Christ is my life. I pray that when you were singing those words, those were genuine words of a heart that's been truly born again and converted, a heart that truly loves Christ. I want to ask you now for a moment to bow your head in prayer.